You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. We are in our series, Carriers. And if, if you haven't enjoyed it, I've enjoyed it. Uh, and I just, I've had this word on my heart for quite a while. And it's, it's, as we dive into this, the first week we looked at the importance of recognizing we're called to be carriers of a message, carriers of the good news of Jesus, the most important message that human ears have ever heard, that human lips have ever spoken, and we have the privilege and opportunity to carry that message to a lost and dying world that needs desperately to hear about what we've received. And so thank you for being a church that carries the good news. Last week we talked about how we're carriers of the name, the name of Jesus that's above every other name, the name of Jesus that makes those mountains move, that, that, that is not found in impossibility that cannot bow its knee to the majesty and the authority of that name. You're carriers of that name, and that name redefines who we are. That name gives us an identity, gives us a, a purpose, gives us a future and a hope. Today we're going to talk about being carriers of the presence of God. So I, I believe we should be carriers of a message We should be carriers of his name. But if all we do is carry a message and preach to the world, but we don't give them God himself, we we, we can, see, listen, Jesus did not come to start a religion. He did not make the church a social institution only. He called us to carry the eternal message that will outlive nations and governments and princes and kings and presidents, that message that will continue long after we're gone, that that message will continue and still will build his church, but also we are carriers of something that is greater than anything else, and it's the presence of a living, almighty God. The message title, if you're taking notes, is Moving from Carts, to carriers, moving from carts to carriers. First Chronicles 15 was where we're gonna start today. First Chronicles 15, verses one and two. It says that David, who's now king at this moment, built houses for himself in Jerusalem, the city of David. And he prepared there a place for the ark of God. And he pitched a tent for it. David has now conquered the city that for 500 years was largely unconquerable. It was one of the only cities in the promised land that could not be taken and held. And and, and so for 500 years, David, who grew up in Bethlehem, in the shadow of that city, knew the heart of God, that that city belonged to God. And so when he takes the city, it becomes called the city of David. And David dries out the Jebusites, the enemy that had occupied that for five centuries. But, But I love what David does. David, who's now king, doesn't just build houses for himself as king, but he makes a place for the presence of God. He builds, he places a tent for the ark. Then David said, no one may carry the ark of God, but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. One of 12 tribes, God said, this tribe, in fact, God originally had said, I want my people, all my people to be a kingdom of priests. But, but because of uh, what happened at Sinai and the golden calf, and it's a whole story, the, the Levites were the only nation that was set apart and God said, to, or the only tribe set apart. And God said, that tribe now belongs to me. And they will bear the holy things. They will carry the ark. They will, they will be responsible for the temple and the, 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 the elements of what's holy in the worship of God. But more importantly, the ark, which was at the center of Israel's worship, at the center of their temple and then uh, earlier their tabernacle, at the center was the place where God's presence was. Because it wasn't just the ark was a box made with, with, uh, with a particular type of wood overlaid with gold. But what mattered wasn't just the content of the box, and those contents would be important to Israel, but it was the presence of God that that represented, the presence of God that abided with the people. And and when I talk about the presence of God, I don't want to assume that we all are talking about the same thing, because God's presence, biblically speaking, is everywhere. There's no temple that can contain him. There's no church building that can contain the majesty of God. God said in Isaiah, uh, and it's actually quoted in the book of Acts, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the place that you would build for me? Or what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? If heaven is his throne and the earth, all the earth is just the footstool of God, what can we build that can contain God? But that God who's everywhere, there's no place you can go where you can outrun the presence of God. 
That God who is everywhere is not experienced everywhere, is not known everywhere. Have you ever had moments in your walk with God where where it just feels like God's closer than he was a moment before? And it's, it's theologically true that God is always there. In fact, don't ever build your faith on feelings only. Build your faith on the word of God, which is true, because I can tell you, feelings are very flaky. (laughs) This world has elevated feelings to the the highest authority instead of the truth of the word that is what defines your life. And when your faith is built on a feeling, you'll feel like God's there one moment and he's gone the next. I felt him in church on Sunday, but man, Monday morning came along. But God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So God's presence didn't change. But here's what we have to understand. He's not known and experienced everywhere at all times, but I believe he wants to be known. And he wants to be experienced. And that's why in Israel, he had them build a place where God would draw near to them as they would draw near to him. In Exodus 33, as Moses is getting ready to enter the promised land, and God is going to fulfill everything that he said he'd do for them. God, God in, in, in a moment of, of, of as Israel's continuously, God's like constantly blessing them and they keep being unfaithful to God. And God says, okay, I'm gonna send an angel with you. I'm gonna do everything I told you I'd do, but I'm gonna send an angel with you. And Moses begins to intercede because he knows the secret is not having the promise only, but having the presence of God with them. And there was something about Moses that I think all of Israel would have settled for less and too many people settle for less. Moses says, God, if your presence does not go with us, don't take us out of the desert. I mean, what a, what a, can, can we honestly pray that? Like, God, I'd rather have you than all the desires of my heart. I'd rather have you than every promise fulfilled, than every prayer answered. I'd rather have you. Now, will God answer prayer and fulfill promises? Yes, in fact, that would be the result. But Moses knew the secret. The secret was God's presence is what we need. And God, in response to that intercession, said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. An angel's nice, but he says, I want you, God. An angel's nice, but I want you. I want you personally. In fact, I love this statement, verse 16. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. He says, this is the distinguishing marker of God's people. It's not that we have big Bibles. It's not that we have big crosses on our neck. It's not that we build church buildings. It's that we are carriers of the presence of Almighty God. He says, the thing that defines us as your people is your presence. And somewhere along the way, I think we've lost sight of that as the church. And most people, if you were to to give a definition to what the church is, most people would not start with what Moses defined God's people as. We would start with, well, churches where we gather on Sunday, we sing songs, we listen to sermons, churches where, you know, we've got steeples and people, and you know the hand thing. <laughs> we, got the, we got all that. It's where we have potlucks and, and church picnics, but we're doing parties at the park. It, but what actually defined the church is the presence of God. Let's bring this to the New Testament. Jesus said, I'm going to pray that the Father sends another helper to you who will abide with you forever. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, and the world cannot see him. Verse 17 of John 14. The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But here's what's going to be different about his people. He says, but you know him. For he dwells with you. He's been with you. But now he's going to be in you, like God's presence. That's why Paul would later say, don't you know, church, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And why this is important, I'm giving you a lot right now on the front end because I want you to understand and I want us to, 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 to remind ourselves that we are carriers of the presence of Almighty God. And when you stepped into a room, you never went to one room as a Christian by yourself. You never faced a battle alone. You never faced a challenge alone, forsaken, but you have the presence of Almighty God, the Holy Spirit available. And our problem, I think, is we picture, and I do this, we picture God, and it's not invalid, but we picture God a billion trillion miles away on a throne in heaven instead of closer than our next breath. 
I mean, I, I, anybody like you picture, you try to picture God as you're praying, like I'm picturing God on a throne. And there's nothing wrong with that. We would see God on his throne and we see that from cover to cover in the Bible. But it's, under, it's important to understand that God never wanted to be distant. God never wanted distance. His presence is not limited and his presence is not distant. God's presence will reveal, it will also heal. His presence will at times confront, but it also comforts. God's presence transforms. And I, I, I would say it this way, uh, God's presence is the difference. That's why I always tell, you've heard this if you come through Next Steps, that, that, that it's the presence of God that's the difference. What changes somebody's life is not a message and not even a song. It's the presence of God in the midst of those that can change our lives. It's what changed my life. Now, I want to give you three things today that I believe hinder us or keep us from being presence carriers to the world around us. Three things that hinder, and we'll look at this story leading up to David having the ark and then what happens when he brings the ark in. Three things that hinder, but also three things that help us to become presence carriers, God's carriers of the presence of God. So let's start with the three things that hinder. We're going to spend more time on those first, and then we'll, I'll give you those, the last three at the end. So number one, is we're going to start in 1 Samuel 3. Look at this. Samuel, 1 Samuel 3 is the generation right before David. And the ark has been in, a, in this tent called the tabernacle that Moses had, had led Israel to build. And while it's there, there's a priesthood that's responsible to take care of and, and, and oversee the, the worship of what would take place at the tabernacle. And, and it says that Eli, who happens to be the high priest, he's the guy in charge of worship at the temple. One night, Eli, whose eyes became so weak he could not barely see, was lying down in his usual place. And everybody just say usual. He's laying down in his usual place. It's, it's his routine. It's where, it's where he takes a nap. Verse 3 tells us what happens in the same place, in the same area. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel, who at this time is a young boy, he would one day be the prophet of Israel, Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. There's two kinds of Christians, I believe. There's people that lie in their usual place day in and day out, and there's some people like Samuel who make a decision to dwell in, find their rest in, find their security in the presence of God. Do you see the, the contrast? Eli is lying in his usual place, but Samuel is by the ark. He's as close as he can get. He's in the place, the house of God. He's in the place where, where God's presence would meet with man. And, and Samuel would go on to be one that would hear the voice of God, that would, that would change the direction of Israel as a nation. But for him to see all of that, he had to first be a person that dwelt and resided in the presence of God. Now, I think the first thing that hinders us from being a carrier of God's presence to the world around us is in this contrast, and I would describe it this way. Number one is, if you're taking notes, is that we become too casual with what's holy. We become casual with what's holy. And, and Eli is the high priest, and there's not enough time to give the whole backstory, but, but Eli has become indifferent. He's just there. He's just used to things. He's got his seat that he's always sat in. He's got his parking space that he's always had. They didn't drive cars, by the way, but you get what I'm saying. Like he's used to the routine, and the routine has become more important than the necessary presence of God in his life. And so Eli comes to the place, in fact, he goes, gets really bad because his sons, who are the associate pastors of the tabernacle, they're the, they're the number twos, the next generation of leaders, are ripping people off. They're, 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 they're taking advantage of their position and they're committing immoral acts at the tabernacle, at the place of the presence of God. And Eli, the leader, the, the one responsible for that place, is refusing to really deal with it. Like he says, guys, stop. You shouldn't do this. But he doesn't do anything about it. And he's passive, and because he's indifferent, because he's apathetic, the corruption of the next generation will always be the result of the apathy of the previous generation. And we can blame the next generation, but we need to remember that if we've been a generation of Eli's, that's why that happens. But there's a Samuel in the house. 
But there's somebody in the house that says, I want to get to the presence of God. I want to get as close to God as I can. And he's not casual. And I wonder if how many times, maybe we've been a people where we've pursued the things of God, we've gone after God, but after a while, we become tired and weary and discouraged and distracted and life happens and, you know, maybe I shouldn't push like I used to push. Maybe I shouldn't get as passionate as I used to get. I've been hurt. I've been disappointed. And we just get to the place where we go back to the usual spot. We're not called to dwell in what's usual. We're not called to stay there. In fact, we just sang about it today, that we serve a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above. And routines are not bad, but they are bad when they keep you stuck in what's usual and miss what's available. Eli missed. And Samuel didn't. Samuel drew near to God. He valued the presence of God. What makes something valuable? I think what makes something valuable is it's rare. I remember years ago, um, do you remember Beanie Babies? My parents are up front. We, 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 we've always, like, I should say we always, there's been moments where it's like, hey, let's, this is a collector's item. So we went, to, we went to all the McDonald's. Like, I ate lots of McDonald's that week. And we got all the, because it, like people were going nuts with Beanie Babies. Like it was, it was like you'd have a Beanie Baby selling for an insane amount of money. Like people would spend $1,000 for a stinking Beanie Baby. How many got stuck with Beanie Babies after all that? Yeah, yeah, we did too. We donated, we gave them. But, but here's, here's what happens. Something is valuable to someone because it's rare, because it's costly, because it's meaningful. When God's presence is valuable to us is because we recognize his presence is rare. Not scarce, but rare. Scarce means not available, but rare means precious, unique, set apart, not like any other. It's costly because it, it cost Jesus his life on the cross to make a way for us into the presence of God. And worship is our response to the worth of who he is. And a recognition of the, I don't think you can recognize the presence of God in your life and not worship. It's meaningful. I, I can think of moments in my life where God will remind me of, of something where maybe I was hurting or I was, you know, messed up or I was going through a tough time. And I look back at moments in God's presence where God lifted, God rescued, God set me free, God helped me. And, and, and I look back at those moments and it's in those moments that God's presence became more meaningful to me than before. And so Samuel's somebody who learned to recognize and value the presence of God. Number two, so we fast forward in the story is that the ark, because of Eli and because of his sons, because of the corruption the ark is taken out to a battle and the Israelites are defeated by the Philistines and the ark, for the first time in its history, is captured by the Philistines by an enemy army. And Eli hears word, in fact, it's how he dies. He hears word that the ark has been captured and, and he falls in disbelief and he breaks his neck. And, 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 and his grandson at that time is born, and the grandson is born and given a name, Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. Because what made the temple or the tabernacle, excuse me, the house of God was not the curtains and it was not the other elements. It was the ark where God's presence would dwell. If it's his house, it's got to have him. Okay. Super deep, I know. But when it's captured by the enemy, something happens. And number two is the second thing that hinders us, I believe, in being carriers of God's presence is we become crowded at the center, or I'll say it this way, crowded in the heart. So here's what happens. The Philistines capture the ark. They take it and they place it in a house dedicated, a temple dedicated to their god, Dagon. And at the center of this temple is a statue, as there often was, in other pagan temples of the time, they would have statues of a god that they would worship and they would sacrifice to and they'd do all these things. But this statue stood as a representative figure of a god that they worshiped but didn't live. In fact, the Bible actually tells us when people would sacrifice to these things, they were really sacrificing to demons. That's a whole other story. 
but they place the ark right beside Dagon as if they're equals, as if they belong together. And watch what happens. Let's read this. Verse one, Philistine took the ark of God, brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Ashdod is a name that means an oppressive stronghold. It means to rob. And I'm just gonna remind you what I told you last week. The enemy comes to rob you, to traumatize, to steal, kill, and destroy your identity, your calling, your purpose, your relationship with God. They brought the ark to Ashdod, and when the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the Ark of the Lord. So they did what naturally you would think you should do. Let's pick up our God. If you have to shape a God in your image, you don't have a God you're worshiping yourself. I know we think we're sophisticated because now we have TikTok instead of idols. But we've just, we've just we, instead of statues and images that we sacrifice to, we, we shape God into an image we, that looks like us. Instead of recognizing we've been created to be in his image, conformed to Christ. And, and so, so they, they take the ark and, and the Dagon's fallen down, and so the next day they pick him back up, but it's not over yet because another night goes by, and watch what happens. When they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon again, verse 4, on the ground, but this time the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off at the threshold, and only his torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priest nor any who came near into Dagon's house will tread on the threshold to this day. So I love this. They, They put the statue back up. And it falls down again. But why do I say that the thing that hinders us is being crowded in our heart? Because for some of us, our heart, if you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, your heart, your life is a sanctuary created for God. But sometimes we allow it to be occupied by something else. And the problem was not that they had the ark there. It was that they had the ark plus. God's presence plus. God's presence and Dagon. And and these two cannot occupy the same space. Can I just remind you, a truth and a lie cannot occupy the same place of value in my life. One of them has to be moved. One of them has to fall. The good news is, is if we're willing to allow God to be at the center, allow his word to fill our lives, what will happen? The things that have kept us bound will begin to fall. But if I'm honest, there's been times in my life where I've tried to do just like they did. Oh, let me pick up this mess. And let's go back to that old habit. Let's, let's pick up Dagon. Let's, let's pick up that thing that actually used to hold me captive. Let's pick that up again. Let's, let's look at that thing again. Let's watch that again. Let's listen to that again. Let's get around those people again. And what we're doing is we're building back up something that is actually destroying us and occupying a place in our lives that only belongs to God. When we're presence carriers, but here's, here's the positive side of what happens when we invite, here's what, what the Bible says. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, there's liberty. And in that passage, Paul uses the word Lord, inspired by the Holy Spirit, because there's a lot of names for the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Spirit of truth, Spirit of grace, Spirit of Christ. But he says the Spirit of the Lord, because it's where we allow him to be Lord. That means he rules, and that thing doesn't rule anymore. The result is freedom. <laughs> I think there's a pattern. David takes the city of Jerusalem drives out the enemy, but he doesn't stop there. He says, I'm preparing a place for the ark. It's not enough to stop the wrong thing or get the wrong thing out of my life. I've got to invite God to be at the center. See, religion comes along and says, stop doing that. <laughs> and we go, okay, I'm going to stop that. I'm going I'm I'm to stop. I'm going I'm to push Dagon over. But if I don't put the ark in, it won't be broken. Jesus said that if, if, a, if, a, if a demon's cast out of somebody, 
He uses that to des- describe that generation that experienced the miracles of Jesus. He says, he says if, if a demon's cast out of somebody and it, it comes back, but the house is just put in order, swept clean, but it's empty, that spirit's going to come back with seven more friends worse than itself. And the latter state will be worse than the former. What's the point? The point is that I, I don't need to just remove the wrong thing. I need to invite the right thing. I need to fill my life. And maybe you're at a place where you go, I don't know how to break Dagon in my life. I don't know how to get over this thing. I don't know how to break free. Just keep inviting, keep filling, keep allowing God's word to be at the center. Keep spending time with Jesus. And that ark will cause that thing to break. But if we try to have them both, one of them will win out and one of them will lose out. The third thing is control. Let's, let's fast forward. Uh, the, the Philistines, they're like, we don't know what to do with this thing. Um, and, and, you know, judgment comes to the city and they're, they're like, let's just get this ark out of here. It's messing up our favorite idol. <laughs> we liked it the way it was. We like the usual place. Let's get back to the way things were. And they send the ark back with an offering. They're like, you know, I love it when the devil has to pay back what he's stolen with interest. And they send back the ark to Israel, but here's what they do. They place it on a cart pulled by two, two cows. And it's put on a cart and it's wheeled to the Israelites. Now let's fast forward. Um, 2 Samuel 6 we come to David's generation. It's actually just before he brings the ark to Jerusalem. Just before he does what I described at the beginning of, of the message. 2 Samuel 6, verse 3. David's, David's decided, well, it's time to bring the ark to the city of Jerusalem. And so they set the ark of God on a new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, who's the priest at that time, which was on the hill in Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And, and verse 5, Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, and firwood and harps and string instruments. They got, they got the bass guitar. They got the drums. They got, they got the whole thing. Um, and when they came to, to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God to take hold of it, for one of the oxen that's pulling the cart begins to stumble. So Uzzah goes to, oh, I'm not going to let this fall, and he puts his hands on the ark. The anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. He died by the ark of God. David becomes angry, uh, verse 8, he becomes angry at the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. He called the name of that place Perazuzah to this day, and David now is afraid of the Lord. And he says, can the ark come to me? So David would not move the ark with him to the city of David, but David took it aside. He put it in the house of Obed-Edom. He parks the ark, and he says, I'm not going to bring it to my house. And, and see, here's the problem, I believe, in what happens with Uzzah and what happens in this whole story is that there's a measure of control that people are trying to maintain over God. I'm going to do it my way instead of his way. I'll say it this way. Number three is that we control instead of surrender. We control, I promise, it's going to get a lot happier in just a moment. But we try to control instead of surrender. If you've ever gone through something difficult, if you've ever experienced a trauma in your life, many times people who've dealt with loss, dealt with trauma, dealt with hurt, will then use control to keep themselves from being hurt again. And David has decided, well, it's time to bring the ark back. And, and the previous king had largely ignored the ark. David goes, no, no, I want the ark at the center. I want to bring it. But he decides to take a cue from the Philistines. Instead of doing things God's way, which I already read it to you, David would later recognize because the word of God said this, here's who carries the ark. It's not to be put on a cart. It's to be carried on the shoulders of the priests, the Levites. And what was meant to be carried by people was instead wheeled on a man-made system. Here's the issue. When we try to control and do things our way instead of surrender to God's way, I don't know about you, I've, I've done that a few times in my life. Where I've tried to do things my way. I've tried to tell God how he was going to answer that prayer how he was going to make things happen. 
And I think whenever we do that, we're a lot like Uzzah. Uzzah goes, oh, let me help here. Let me steady this. Things, things, are, things are moving, and it's a little unsettling. Let me steady this. Let me, let me get a committee together in the church and steady it. And, and David takes his cue. Here's why I say he takes cue from the Philistines. Instead of having it carried on the shoulders, he goes, what, was, what did they do in Philistia when they sent it back? They put it on a cart. How often do we, as, the, as Christians even... We build our lives the way the world does it instead of the way God's called us to. (laughs) And we use the methods of the world instead of God's methods. And, and, And the result is not any different than what we find here. The result is death where there should be life. Mourning where there should be celebration. When we allow the world to define how we're going to do things and what we're going to say and how we're going to live and how we're going to try to have our marriage and how we're going to build our future. And many times we allow the world to dictate what, what, what should be in our life. Well, it's okay there. It's okay in our culture. It's what people say. It's what people celebrate. But what if it's the thing that's destroying us? And David has to go back to the word and he finds out, oh, it was never supposed to be a cart. It was supposed to be the priesthood. And he parks the ark. How many Christians, because of disappointment, because things didn't work out the way we thought they should, that prayer wasn't answered in the method and the timing that we thought it should, and so we try to help God out, and we try to put our hands on stuff, and we're going we're gonna to fix that relationship for God. We're going to change them. We're going to throw some Bible verses at them. And we put our hands on things and we try to control instead of surrender to God. Do you know what prayer is? Prayer is saying, God, I'm going to trust you with this and I'm not going to try to change it on my own. Prayer is inviting God to be God. When I work, I work. But when I pray, God goes to work. (laughs) Have you parked the ark? Are there places that you've no longer prayed in confidence and faith and and you've just settled. You've gone back to your usual place, and, and things didn't work the way you expected. So you, 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 you set it aside. And that's where David is. I don't know how to go forward. But watch what happens in verse 11. Now we're going to turn to the three things that help us be God carriers. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Do you know the presence of God is not just so we have good church services? The presence of God is not so pastors can preach better sermons and so we can, our worship team can sing better songs. The presence of God is for every single person. God wants to, he wants to work in your family. So it says the ark is at the house of Obed-Edom and God blesses all that he has. Everything that concerns him. Like somebody comes to David and says, hey, David, we checked out the house. Like we took a look at where the ark was and we noticed his crops are blessed. His people, his kids are blessed. Like even his dog is blessed. Like everything. And David goes back to what the word of God says and he finds out, oh, it was never supposed to be a cart. Now, my wife and I shop very different. It's going to shock you. My wife will say, I'm going to buy spaghetti sauce. She will come back with spaghetti sauce and like a cartful of other things. If I'm buying spaghetti sauce, do you know what I'm leaving that store with? Probably not, something else. <laughs> I will get like one thing, but if, you didn't get the spaghetti sauce. What happened? I forgot. Okay. And and I know why people choose a cart, because a cart is convenient sometimes. I like to shop and walk into the store, and if I know I'm not going to get a bunch of stuff, I'm going to do it by hand. I'm going to walk around, and I'm going to, here's the bread, and here's the milk, and I'm loading up until I realize I can no longer carry this to the checkout line. And I'll contort and do all these things to get to the, but but at that point, I'm committed because, you know, I'm a man, and I'm going to carry all of it. 
And sometimes we choose the cart because it's easier, it's convenient, it makes sense, it's the way things have always been. Instead of recognizing God never meant to bless methods but men. He never meant to bless systems but people. Men and women created and called. In fact, that's God's plan from the very beginning, that we'd be carriers of his kingdom and the presence of the king himself. And when you're carrying, they would take the ark and they place it in poles on their shoulders. When you're carrying the ark, you don't have room for anything else to carry. There's no room for worry. There's no room for shame anymore. There's no room for offense anymore. Oh, I know we get mad at somebody and they hurt us and they talk about us, so we, I'm gonna set down the ark. Oh, just put it on the cart. It'll still work. <laughs> but when we pick up the ark, when we become carriers of the presence of God, it means we also lay something else down that may have been easier and more convenient, but, but now we're gonna pray. We're, now we're gonna fast. Now we're gonna worship. Now we're gonna seek God. Now we're gonna build, our, build in our family things that last forever. Okay. I told you I got three things. Three things that help. Help us become God carriers. David, David hears that the house is blessed, and so he says, now it's time. Let's bring the ark back. Let's bring it into the city. And this time he says this. It's, it's, it's the verse 2 of, of 1 Chronicles 15, verse 2. David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. I read that at the beginning. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God to minister before him forever. And then he tells the Levites, he says, here's what I want you to do. He says, you're going to, Sanctify yourselves, verse 12, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark to the place I have prepared for it. For because, he says, here's why we had a problem before. He says, we did not do it the first time the right way. And the Lord God broke out against us because we did not consult him first about the proper order. You know what I choose is on me, but when I let God choose, he takes care of the details. <laughs> I see people all the time that get frustrated because they're not experiencing what somebody else, some other Christians are experiencing. And, and don't ever get mad about what God's doing in somebody else's life. You, can I just help you? You don't want what they have. You want what God has for you. Okay. So David does this, and here's what we'll finish in 2 Samuel 6. It says, when those bearing the ark, verse 13, they took it up and they're taking it to the place prepared David's prepared a place. When those bearing the ark of God, they're carrying it, had gone six steps, he would sacrifice oxen and, and fatted sheep. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark with shouting and with the sound of trumpets. Three things that I believe help us to become carriers of God to the world around us, carriers of the presence of God. Number one is we need to make his presence a priority in our life. May God, that, that's, that's as practical as this. I'm going to spend time with God. We will always make time for what we really value. And when I make time with God, I'm investing in my relationship with God. Do you know every relationship needs investment? Everyone. When, when, you, when you married your wife, was not the end of your pursuit of her. Or it shouldn't be. And you continue to invest in that relationship. I think the reason why we have relationship issues many times is because we're trying to make withdrawals out of accounts we haven't deposited in. And we think our relationship with God is any different. Well, God is gracious, and God always gives us what we don't deserve. But can I tell you, we reap what we sow. And there is more in your relationship with God. And when we make his presence a priority, and we say, God, I'm going to spend time with you first. I'm going to seek you first. You know what I love about the things of God? While his presence is rare, it's not scarce, and so it's available for every one of us. Do you know God has favorites? He does. My dad's got a t-shirt. It says that. God loves you, but I'm his favorite. Do you know what I love about this is God has favorites, but you and I get to decide whether or not we're one of them. It's not like God's picking and choosing, like, oh, I like you, not you. You're in, you're out. All of us can make his presence a priority. Spend time with God. Last two, Jason, come on up if you can, and uh, our worship team. 
uh, whoever's available. Number two, depend upon God's grace and everything. So, so it sounds a little weird. Like they, they take six steps and then they have a sacrifice. Do you know how long that probably took them? It would have been easier to do the cart thing. <laughs> Why would they take six steps? We know biblically six is the number of man. They take six steps and then they would sacrifice something. But all, here's the point. All of their steps were covered. All of their steps, every step they would take, they would take six steps representing the steps of man. I'm taking a step, but at, at, the, at, the, at the point where they're about to take the seventh, they would stop and they would have a sacrifice. And of course, it's the Old Testament and that they're, they're going through the ritual, and tr- the, the things that God has instructed them. But here's the point, that all of our steps can be covered by the grace of God. When we live in dependence, here's what I would say, live in dependence on God's grace in everything. Well, I, I, I need God's help on Sunday morning. You know what I learned? I need God's help on Monday morning as much as Sunday morning. I need God's help in my family. I need God's help in my life. I need, we need God's help in our jobs, our businesses. We need God's help in every area. And the issue is I'm going to either do things my way or I'm going to depend upon God. That's what real humility is. Pride is saying, I'm going to do it my way. Humility is saying, God, I need your help. I need your help. I'm not going to depend on my own ability. I need your grace, your faithfulness. I need you to come through. And some of us, all of us, at some point have probably prayed something like that, but it was usually when we hit rock bottom. What if we depended upon God's grace as much on the mountaintops as in the valleys? David was successful, but he didn't, in this moment, rest on his momentum and success. He said, no, we're going we're to cling to God. We're going to acknowledge God. We're going to worship God. Every, every six steps, we're going to stop and worship. The last thing is we depend upon God's grace is watch what happens next. In 1 Chronicles 16, it says, when David had finished the offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, cake of raisins, I'll take the meat. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark and to commemorate and to thank and to praise the God of Israel. What does he do? He loves God, but he also loves people. David puts the ark into its place that he's prepared and he celebrates and he worships and man, they have a party. He gets, he gets like super crazy radically, embarrasses his wife with how much he's worshiping. Can't you just settle down? He says, no, you don't understand. God was with me when I was all alone. When your father was trying to kill me. Anybody got crazy in-laws? Mine are on the front row, so I'm not going (laughs) to. David's father-in-law tries to kill him. David said to his wife, he says, no, you don't understand. God was with me, the God who chose me, the God who raised me up, the God who protected me, the God who fought for me. I'm not going to stop worshiping. but he also blessed the people that were present because he recognized that in loving God, God would give him what he needed to bless others. And if you wanna be a carrier, I think as the church, we can get too inwardly focused, so much so that we are only focused on me and mine and and how we're getting blessed and what God wants to do. And there's nothing wrong with, can I just tell you, there's nothing wrong with receiving from God. There, There isn't. It's okay to pray. In fact, you should pray for your own needs. But while you're praying for your needs, pray for somebody else too. Go make a difference in somebody else's life. Go encourage somebody. Go bless somebody. We become carriers of the presence of God to the world around us when we don't just love God, but as a result of our love for God, we love people too. We take it outside the four walls of the church and we turn the the world upside down. And his presence is the difference. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. David recognized what I need at the heart of this city is the presence of God. And he made God's presence a priority. David depended on the grace of God. And then he gave it away. (laughs) He He made a difference. He blessed people. I want to ask you today, 
Is God's presence a priority? I think it's real easy for us, me included, to get become what I would call professional Christians. Like we, we check all the boxes, but we stop, we forget to spend time with the person of God, build our relationship with Jesus. And I, I want us to pray today for two quick things and then we'll go. But if you're in here and you say, you know what? I, I, I've got some stuff that's parked next to the ark. It's, it's holding me back. It's occupying a place in my life that actually belongs to him. Today, let's make some room. Let's make some room for Jesus. Let's make some, let, let's not try to control, let's surrender. Let's not go back to the usual place. Maybe that's where you're at right now. You're in the same place in your walk with God you've been for 20 years. Don't go back to the usual place. If you want something different, you got to do something different. I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in here and you say, you know, Brian, I don't have a relationship with God at all. I don't know him like you're talking about. If I'm honest, there's distance. Here's what I know. I know a lot of people are afraid of God. A lot of people are like David. They, they get to the place where they're like, I, I don't understand what just happened. I'm afraid of God. I feel like he's at, against me. So they park the ark. And maybe that's where you're at. You go, I, I, I can't pursue a relationship with Jesus. Today, if you're in here and you don't have a relationship with God, I want to invite you to a God who never changes, who doesn't just say, I love you, but showed it 2,000 years ago on a cross where he took our sin, our sin separates us from God. It's what creates the distance. And it makes a way, Jesus made a way for us to not only be forgiven of our sin, but he made a way for us to enter into the presence of God as if we'd never sinned. Forgiven, set free, not defined by your history and your past. The Bible says, as an illustration, he says, I cast your sin in the depths of the sea some people right now I know this that you're in here and you're saying you know what all I can think of is what I've done wrong and I can't I, I just can't bring it to my bring, bring myself to draw near to God but I'm telling you today if you'll surrender to the goodness and the grace of God if you'll surrender to Jesus who loves you who demonstrated it who left heaven for you to, to, to pay the price so that he could bring you to God what makes heaven heaven is God's presence. And what makes hell hell is that the separation we feel now is on a level we cannot even fathom forever. But Jesus doesn't want us lost. He wants us found. If you're in here and you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right here and now to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to surrender to him, to stop trying to control it your way, have it your way, and say, God, I need you in my life. I need you at the center. And if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to do this. If you'd respond not to a message, but to God's invitation himself. He's calling you to know him. And it starts with forgiveness. It starts with just knowing that Man, I've got a home in heaven. I've got a future and a hope. And he changes our heart. He moves on the inside of us. And he begins to, 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 to work about his purpose. And he sets us free. But it begins with the decision to follow Jesus. If you'd like to make that decision right here and now, I want to give you the opportunity. If you say, that's me, Brian. Maybe it's for the first time or maybe today you need to come back to God. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Say, I need Jesus in my life. I'm going to ask the altar team to come forward, our prayer team. If you're in here with no one looking around, you say, Brian, I've got, I got some stuff that's occupying the place that only belongs to God, and today I'm ready to surrender. Today I want to invite the Holy Spirit to fill. 
I want to move the ark into its proper place. I want to give him everything. And you're a Christian, but you're at a place where you say, you know what, I want Jesus to have all. I want you to raise your hand. Say, that's me. I need Jesus to have all. I want every, every other idol and every other obstacle to be broken, just like that statue was broken. Come on, right now, there's addiction being broken. There's secret shame being broken. Offense is being broken. Bitterness is being broken. Grief is being broken. Fear is being broken. It cannot stand in the presence of Almighty God. Disease is broken. Anxiety is broken. God, we love you. Worship you. God, I pray right now for every place that we've had filled by something else today, we surrender. Just tell them that. Say, God, I surrender. I give it to you. I invite Jesus. I invite you. You can say this as a Christian. I invite you to have it all. (laughs) I surrender. I give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. I give it all to you, Jesus. And I invite you to be at the center. I'm going to be a carrier of your presence everywhere I go. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Today, if you need prayer for anything, our prayer team would be, it will be up here for a few more moments. And it'd be our honor and privilege to pray with you. If you have a need in your life, you need healing in your body, you need freedom in an area, let us pray with you. We love you guys. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Have an awesome rest of your Sunday. Enjoy that beautiful weather, warm weather this week. See you guys next week. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.